Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. Lord, we worship You. 10,000 isn't enough, Lord. You are an infinite God far beyond us. And we worship You now, Lord, because You've brought us to Yourself and given us life. Thank You, Lord. So, Lord, now we take our eyes from You and look at ourselves. You tell us to confess our sins to You. To cry out to You that You might create in us a clean heart. Oh God, search our hearts right now. Lord, is there any wicked way in us? Is there anything that stands between us right now? Are we out of fellowship? You talk to the Lord. He is faithful. He is just. His steadfast love forgives and makes new. And now we thank Him. Lord, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for the life that You've given us, Lord, the new life in Christ. That we are new creatures in You. We thank You, Lord, for our church. We thank You for the opportunity to meet here in this building. We thank You, Lord, for those that You brought here today. We thank You, Lord, that we have hearts that are responsive to You. That's only Your work. Man never seeks after You, Lord. Only when You draw us do we approach You. So we thank You, Lord. And now in supplication, we bring our needs to You. Father, we do pray for those in our state that are struggling, Lord. Encourage them. Use the churches that are there. Use believers that are there. Spread Your Gospel. Lord, do this work. I pray for Dee's mom, Lord. I pray You to continue to meet her needs. Lord, work miracles there. We pray for our missions team that's going. Lord, I pray You would just bless them. We pray for the coming VBS. Lord, I pray that You would prod us to invite people out who need the Gospel. But Lord, I want to come to You now asking You to soften our hearts to You. We've got a tough topic today, Lord. And so we come to You asking You to give us a tender heart. And at the same time, Lord, remind us of Your grace. Maybe feel the weight of the law, but at the same time, the freedom of the grace. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it was 1959. And almost like a movie or a television movie or a show, the, the love story that grew between this couple was pretty amazing. She was only 17 years old. He was 19. Her father was a little controlling. He was very opposed to their relationship. But they loved each other. And so one night, the story was they were going to the drive-in theater, but that's not what they did. They got in the car and they drove about an hour and a half away. 
and found a justice of the peace and got married. 17 and 19 years old. 1959. It's the kind of thing that makes a great movie a great love story. But that's not the touching part. They came home, okay? He went to his parents' house. She went to her parents' house. For over a week, no one knew they even got married. They kept the secret. Because they knew if her father found out, he'd kill him. So they hid it. Well, you can't keep a secret like that for long, right? So finally it came out. The story is, when he finally worked up enough nerve to tell his now father-in-law that he was indeed a father-in-law, they're out in the barn, the old man's holding a hammer in his hand, and when the 19-year-old tells him what happened, the story is he took the hammer and threw it across the room, right through the wall of the barn, and let a lot of choice words go flying out of his mouth. And the old man said to the young man, You'll never be fit to love her. You'll never be fit to love her. That's a neat story, but it's not the best part. They raised five children, stayed married all those years. And 50 years later, 50 years later, she didn't even know her name. She didn't even know that she was my mother. But my father, for over 50 years, loved this little girl, practically, that he found at 17 years old. And they stayed married for 53 years. The last two and a half, three years of which, every need had to be met by her. His calloused, Welder hands dipped a sponge into a glass of water and patted her lips because she was so far gone she couldn't even wet her own mouth. But he stayed there loving her. And that's the best part of their story. There's something about long-term faithfulness. Isn't there? Some in the room have been longer than 50 years. You've remained faithful. And through hard times, through difficult times, you've honored marriage. And I appreciate what you've done. And my call is for you to keep going. Heard about an anniversary today. 23 years. Keep going. We're at 26, I think. Okay? And we're going to keep going. Over the years, I've done a lot of marriage ceremonies. A whole lot. And one thing that I try to emphasize to the, to the new, to-be-married couple is this. I love my wife. And she loves me. We have a wonderful marriage relationship. We're best friends. We do a lot of things together. We encourage each other. We challenge one another. Now, let me just be very clear. I'm not telling you that to to brag or to boast. I'm not telling you that to cause any kind of envy or jealousy. 
I want you to know that it is possible to honor God in your marriage. I want you to know that. I want you to see stories like my parents who honored God. I want you to hear a couple that's in the midst of it. All right? 26 years, four kids. It's tough, I know. But we love each other. And I'm not the only one. I look across this room and there are many of you who love each other. You're committed to one another. If you only watch the television, if you only see what's on the news, you can come to the conclusion that it just doesn't work anymore. That marriage doesn't work. That, that it just, it's, it's faulted. It, it, it won't happen. It won't work. It won't last. Listen, that is a lie. That is a lie. God is behind marriage. God honors marriage. God wants your marriage to honor Him. God wants to work in your life, in your, in your marriage relationship. God wants you to love your husband. God wants you to love your wife. And listen, let me tell you a little fact of life. The most important love relationship in your family, in the four walls you call your home, is your love relationship as husband and wife. Listen, my parents weren't perfect. They were far from it. But there was never a time that I didn't know Daddy loves Mommy and Mommy loves Daddy. I'm telling you, there were t- sometimes I didn't know for sure. Did my parents even think about me? I was a typical teenager, right? But at the end of the day, I knew. I knew. I had a dad who loved my mom. And so he'd keep loving me. And I had a mom that loved my dad. So she'd keep loving me. The most important human love relationship in the four walls of your home is your marriage relationship. It's so important that when God wanted to lay out ten laws, ten broad principles, the ten commandments, one of them dealt with marriage. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And let's look at it together. It's literally two words that we're going to look at. Exodus chapter 20. It's pretty simple. It's pretty clear. And in the Hebrew, it's literally two words. We're looking at verse number 14 of chapter 20. I'm reading from the ESV. And it says this. You shall not commit adultery. That's it. That's our text for the day. We'll close it and be done. This is God's Word for us. Literally in Hebrew it says, never adultery. Or not adultery. That's all it says. But in that is packed so much meaning. So much meaning. I mean, the very Ten Commandments are brief. They're quick. You can read it in, just a couple, you can read it in probably two, three minutes. You can go through the whole thing. Okay? But we need to understand what this is. Before I talk about marriage and adultery, we need to understand the very point of the Ten Commandments. You see, from the Ten Commandments, we see God's character. God's character is reflected through His law. These are not just random, arbitrary rules that God is making up. That's not what has happened here. 
God didn't just say, ah, we'll make this a rule. That's not what happened. Out of the character of God come the commandments of God. From His character flow, flow what He desires for us. As He is holy, we are to be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. You see, God is the reflection. We should reflect Him, I mean to say. He is the source. We reflect it. So from the commandment, we see God's character. But listen. Listen carefully. This is so important as I talk about a very relevant subject in our 21st century world. You and I are incapable of living out God's law on our own. You cannot do this. You cannot live out God's law on your own. That's not the only reason for the law, but it is part of it. To reveal to us our need for God's grace. We see the law, which is a perfect demonstration of the character of God. We see ourselves that we fall short. And we call out for His mercy and His grace. So everything that I want to say today, everything that I want to say about marriage, about adultery, about our thought life, it is absolutely impossible apart from God's grace. Without God's grace, this victory will never occur. Now, in order to get you there, I want to demonstrate, honestly, the, the, the just ridiculous nature of what's going on in our world when it comes to marriage. I want to show you, just briefly, I don't, I don't have to do this, you already know, but I want to show us how ridiculous it is that the world is approaching marriage and fidelity. And my reason for this is not for us so we can wag our finger at the world. That's not what it is. I want to share some things with you that are quite shocking about the world. But it's not for finger wagging. It's, the reason why I want to do that is I want us to come to a place where we understand that the world doesn't get it. And by the world, I mean all those that are outside of Christ who are living outside of God's character. They don't get it. So if they don't get it, why do we listen to them? If they don't understand it, why do we take their wisdom? When we look at the fruit of what is happening in marriages and in families and where love is supposed to be, when we see the fruit of it, why would we heed it? Why? For instance, for instance, this, some of this is, to me is shocking. I want to share with you a, a proposal that was approved after this proposal, reported in The Atlantic, a magazine, this proposal was approved by a major American church denomination. A major American church denomination approved this policy. Hear it. Number one, it says, on ethics. A Christian ethic of sexuality is needed that honors but does not restrict Sexual activity to marriage. That's item number one. 
of a major denomination, their new position statement on sexuality. An ethic is needed that honors but does not restrict sexual activity to marriage. Hmm. Number two, on homosexuality. The the fundamental moral problem is not gay men and lesbians, but rather a new term, heterosexism, which is the oppression of the sexual minority by the privileged majority. That's the problem under the umbrella of homosexuality. It's not what people are practicing It's our view that we are better than others because we follow God. So the problem is heterosexism. Thirdly, on fornication, which is a word for sexual sin, no longer will the church insist that celibacy, that means not not being involved sexually, No longer would the church insist that celibacy is the only moral option for single persons. The moral norm of Christians ought not to be marriage, but a new term that we will now call justice love. And justice love is basically, if it feels good, do it. This is a major denomination that approved this Document, and this is, just a, this is just a few points of it, but they approved it, as shocking as it might be, in 1991. In 1991. Got another one here for you. This is a uh, marriage vow. You know, I, I love doing I love doing marriage ceremonies. They're a joy. I get to do like four in the next six months. It's awesome. It's a great opportunity to, to tell people about Jesus. It's it's incredible. I don't use these vows though. Listen to these. These are actual vows that 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 are used in marriage ceremonies. Okay, listen. Here's the vow. Please repeat after me. Not. I believe in love. I believe the person I will walk away with today to start another lifetime with, to be someone I wish to comfort, and I will expect comfort in return. I will share everything I have to share, and I will always expect the sharing and the giving to be returned. Now, this sounds pretty good, right? But then, in this vow system... The pastor now is to respond with this statement. Listen to this. This is a vow forever. If forever should end for the two of you, or one of you, tomorrow, or next year, stay together only as long as you need each other. Go only when your need for the other ends. Amen. The thing that's so shocking about both of these reports is they aren't like some Hollywood executive. 
They aren't some movie maker or, you know, a songwriter or, or, you know, who we would label as the bad people. These are major Christian denominations that are putting this stuff out. Where do we turn? Where do we go? We go to the Ten Commandments, folks. We go to what God has to say about His Word. It's not only there. There's all kinds of issues that that we could deal with. And I'm just going to throw some of them out here. And my, my point in this is not to make anyone feel bad. I'm not trying to put unnecessary guilt on anyone. Honestly, I'm trying to soften our hearts right now. I want, I, want, I want to run a rototiller in your heart. Okay? So be prepared. It might hurt a little bit. Alright? Firstly, we all know that Jesus later in Matthew chapter 5 said, oh, you have not committed adultery. That's great. But if you look at a woman to lust for her, you have, what? Committed adultery in your heart. Recently I listened to a radio program. It was done by a group of Christian counselors. And they shared that in their recent experience of the last five to ten years, the number one issue, the number one issue that marriages are dealing with is the regular use of pornography on the computer or on your phone, whatever your electronic device might be. And it is having devastating effects in marriage to where sexual intimacy is no longer even possible for couples. I know personally know couples that have ended their marriage relationship over that very issue. And before we look around the room at all the men, sociologists and, and those who study culture are telling us that the rate of pornography use by women is growing at a greater rate than that of men. It's a problem that men and women are dealing with. As so much is now brought into the privacy, we think, of our homes and the privacy of our electronic device, and we are committing adultery in our hearts. And God is angered. Remember, I'm running a rototiller, okay? All right? Don't be hurt, but be softened. There's a pastor named David Goodgell. He wrote a book called Before You Live Together. I often have premarital couples read this book. He shares that in 1970, 11% of couples lived together before being married. In 1970. But in 1995, it was well over 50% of couples that were married had lived together. Goodell goes on to explain that the divorce rate of those who cohabitated prior to marriage, it grows exponentially to like an 80% level for those that lived together before being married. And the whole point of his book, which is called Before You Live Together, you ought to read it. It's a great book. His whole point is that cohabitation is all about self, and then we bring that into a marriage where we've now lived out these years of self, and we try to now live selfless, and it cannot work. 
he gives eight things that I think are excellent for why cohabitation doesn't work. Eight attitudes of cohabitation. Now, I'll challenge you with these. Even if you're married, I want to share this with you because you need to look at your own marriage to see, am I living this out? Is this me? He says, those who cohabitate have this mentality. If you make me feel loved, then I'll marry you. If you satisfy me sexually, then I'll marry you. If you treat me with respect, then I'll marry you. If you make me happy, then I'll marry you. If you fulfill my needs, I will marry you. If you like what I like, then I'll marry you. If you make something of yourself, maybe, then I'll marry you. If you don't do the things that get on my nerves, then I'll marry you. Yeah. Gagel, it's an excellent book, Before You Live Together. He makes the point throughout the book that cohabitation, the argument behind it is, well, I would never buy a car without taking on a test drive. But we're not talking about buying a car. We're talking about entering into a relationship that is maybe the most sacred of all human relationships. We need to go into it with a soft heart, yes, but with a committed heart because we do not know what the future holds. We do not know. Let's go to our text now. We're only going to be in Exodus 20 briefly. Now, come on. I only got two words there, so I got to, I got to move on past that. But it says in verse number 14, you shall not commit adultery. Remember we've already said about the commandments. The second half are about loving others. They're about loving others. So what we see here is that adultery is not love. It is not love. And I would say any form of pornea, remember there are two different words, okay? One is sexual immorality and one is adultery. Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of a God-ordained marriage. The Greek word is pornea. And Jesus spoke very strongly. As a group one time, about two years ago, we looked at 12 different times that pornea is corrected in Scripture. Pornea would include any type of sexual sin. Homosexuality, adultery, premarital sex. This would be pornea. Pornea. And then we have moikia is the Greek word, and it means adultery. It's nothing but a specialized form of pornea. And so we have to understand that when God says you shall not commit adultery in the Ten Commandments, He is now speaking to the importance of marriage and the importance of that sexual relationship. It is a big deal. What I want to do is I want to look at the doctrine of marriage. I want to take a couple, couple minutes here, and I want to look at some important verses. I'm going to make you jump all over the place. Okay, This is a form of systematic theology. We're going to see what does the full counsel of God's Word have to say about marriage. Okay, The first place I want you to go is Hebrews chapter 13. I think I have that one for the screen, because it's an important one. Do I have it? Hebrews chapter 13, yes, there it is. You might turn there though. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Hebrews 13, 4 and 5. And we're going to see a theme here that's that's repeated over and over and over in Scripture. I went to Hebrews first because it's such a strong statement for marriage, but it's also towards the end of the revealed Word of God. So I want us to see this. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Now listen to what it says. Let marriage be held in honor among all. All. The married, the unmarried, the men, the women. All of us as believers need to honor marriage. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. Now this is very important. It does not say the bed of the married couple be undefiled. It says the marriage bed. This is a euphemism for sex is what this is. So this is not just let the marriage, let the, let the sexual activity of the married be undefiled. No, this is broader than that. This is broader than that. This is a, this is a term that's saying that sex is to be honored and undefiled by all. And it is saved for the marriage. For God, it says, will judge the sexually immoral, that's the, those who practice pornea, and the adulteress. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. I want us to see that we need to honor marriage and protect sex. Honor marriage and protect sex. Why do we honor it? Well, continuing to understand what the full counsel of God is, go back now to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to leave Hebrews 13 up on the screen, but go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. You know is the creation chapter. This is when God shares with us how He created everything that we see. And in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, we have the, the, the grand finale of the creation. The grand finale is us. This is it. Verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. Yes, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And look what God's blessing includes. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's blessing included gender, male and female. This is part of God's blessing. And I know the whole world has this all messed up right now. The whole world does. But listen, that's nothing new. That's nothing new. The Greeks had it messed up. The Romans had it messed up. Believe me, it's just the pattern of sinful man. It is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. As excited as people get that they figured this out, listen, it is an old story that's already been done and failed. Don't worry. If Jesus doesn't come back, it will be done and failed again. Again. Part of God's blessing is male and female. Part of God's blessing is the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. I remember riding around a farm one time with an old guy on a tractor. And I don't know if I can get his line quite right. But he said something along the lines. He said, You know, the chimney might be looking old, it might be gray on top, but it still smokes, if you know what I mean. 
And he was trying to tell me him and his wife still have a love relationship. Still love one another. I thought it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm going to gross the kids out. Sorry, that's as far as I'll go. <laughs> this is part of God's blessing. It's part of God's blessing. Let me tell you what isn't part of God's blessing. Rolling over and thinking again, why did I let myself do this? Why did I go down this road again? Logging off and thinking, oh, I could kill myself. What's wrong with me? Why do I keep going down this road? Sneaking around. Does she know? Can she smell the perfume on me? This is not God's blessing. Judge the tree by its fruit. The marriage relationship, gender is part of God's blessing. The sexual relationship, God's blessing. The reproduction, it's God's intent. Now I understand that there are some that just because of physical reasons are unable to to conceive and have a child. And my heart hurts for you. The whole Bible hurts for you. I, I understand the pain of that because I know God's Word. But it is the blessing that God intended. Turn over a page to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What does that mean? Now you remember probably that God took from the man a rib and made, fashioned a woman out of it. But this is more than that. This is the permanence of this relationship. See that cohabitation, six, seven things? There was no permanence. There was no permanence. It was only being used. Flesh of my flesh, you can't take that away. Bone of my bones, you can't take that away. This is the permanence. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We're looking at the the whole counsel of God about marriage and we see here the absolute permanence of it. The oneness of it. And for sake of time, go to the next slide just so we see what these references are. I need to move along. Um, another important, two important passages, Matthew 19. You can look at those later because I need to hit something else. But Matthew 19 and Ephesians chapter 5 go on to express to us the value and the importance of honoring marriage. Now here's what I do for the remainder of our time. I hope that God has convinced you of how important the marriage relationship is. What I want to do now for the next ten minutes is I want to turn to a a kind of strange passage of Scripture. But it's all so, so illustrative and so informative for us about the battle that men and women fight against adultery. Be it physical or be it mental. To see this, I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. And I want to 
I want to teach you now this passage in a, in a very unusual way. I want to go through the whole thing in about 10 minutes. And all along the way, I want to just share with you some, some ideas of how we can battle against this, this great monster that, that exists to take us away from God. Empowered by Satan is the spirit of adultery. And the whole point of it is to destroy. It's a lie and the point is to destroy. And so my hope is that maybe, potentially, you might grab one thing from this Proverbs chapter 5, a, a little, a, like, a, like an arrow you can stick in your quiver that might prevent you from making a decision that will wreck your life. Proverbs chapter 5. Let's read it and talk about it as we go. My son, the author writes, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep, keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. That's the introduction. In other words, wake up. Whether you are married or single. Whether you are happily married or not. Whether you are a young man or an old man, a young woman, an old woman, no. Every one of us need to learn from Proverbs chapter 5. I don't care your age. I don't care your marriage situation. We have lessons here to learn. Verse number 3. Say, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't even know it. The first thing that I just want to challenge you with is this. Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look at a young woman to lust for her. We need to see the truth, men and women. We need to see the truth that we have to make a covenant. Proverbs here is speaking about this young fool who just wanders into an adulterous relationship it's going to wreck his life, and it all comes back to he let his eyes wander. He let his eyes wander, and he saw her, and he heard her. His senses were on alert, and he felt her. He saw her. He smelled her, and he was drawn to her, the forbidden woman. Memorize this verse if you must. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look at a young woman to lust for her. Written by an old man named Job. Job 31.1 Let's watch this horrible progression. This just downward trend of this person in Proverbs 5. Verse number 7. Now he says, And now, O sons, listen to me. She's speaking now from experience. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. The funny thing, well, it's not so funny, but the amazing thing about adultery, the amazing thing about sexual sin, it is the one sin in all of the Bible that I know of that it says flee. Flee. Flee from sexual morality. The reference on that is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from pornea. 
Joseph, Potiphar's wife, comes upon him, says, lie with me, and he runs the opposite direction. The call is not to stand firm against pornography. The call is not to hold your ground against pornography. The call is not to be a righteous man against that adulterous woman. No, that's not the call. The call is you run. Run. And listen, I've been a pastor for 20 years. Five of that, I was the family pastor. And I'm telling you, I have seen firsthand the damage when you don't run. Run! Jesus said this way, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now we all know He's not saying to maim yourself. He's not saying that. But He's saying, you take the drastic action needed. You quit that job. You quit it. If she's there, you quit. You say, well, how will I provide for myself? You don't provide for you anyway. God does. You quit that job. You leave that house. If you're in a relationship that is, that is dishonoring to God, you leave today. You say, well, where will I live? How will I take care of myself? Our phone lines, our, our phone plans, they're all together. Our cars are together. Our mortgage is together. God will take care of that. God will deal with that. That's an excuse. Jesus said, cut off the right arm. Flee. Run. Can I just say this? Do you know why you have to flee? Do you know why you have to flee? Because the longer you sit in that slop, the more you learn to like it. The more you learn to like it. And then you want more. I'll tell you, one of the saddest things I ever saw I was in high school. This was back before the internet, for those that don't remember those days. That meant we couldn't log on to the computer and reach anything we wanted to. It was weird. It was a store in Kaiser. You know the kind of store it is. They sold primarily adult entertainment or something, I don't know, adult books. I'm with a buddy of mine. We're walking downtown in Kaiser, okay? We look down the street, and my buddy says, hey, there's my dad. Oh, really? That's your dad? I didn't know that. Yeah. Here walks this old guy, gray hair, you know, bent over, older man, stumbling along. And we stop, and we watch him walk in to that store. It's the only thing they sold. He wasn't there to buy a Coke. He wasn't hungry. He wasn't looking for a Snicker bar. And my buddy knew it. You know what we said to each other? Nothing. Hurt too bad. It hurt too bad. We sat there in silence. Stood there in silence. Turned around. Walked the other way. Did that 50-year-old man, when he was, you know, 25 years old and, you know, had this little baby boy, I guess he'd been 35, but had this little boy, and did he, did he think, oh, 15 years from now, yeah, I'll walk into a porn place and my son will see me, and that'll be a great moment. No. 
You have to flee. Because the longer you stay there, the harder it is to get out. Because the more you like it, you got to run. you got to run. Verse number 9. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. Count the cost, folks. Count the cost. Listen to James 1. Desire when it conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Count the cost. Folks, is the five minutes of pleasure worth it? Is it worth it? Kingdoms have been lost over that five minutes. Churches have failed over that five minutes. Men who have walked in integrity for 20 years have lost it for that five minutes. Boys' hearts have been broken over a five-minute pleasure of their mom or dad. And for years, I came behind like that guy at the circus who sweeps up what the elephant leaves behind. And I'm telling you, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Don't tell yourself your kids will get by it. Don't tell yourself they're resilient. And if you have already harmed them in that way, you need to be honest. You need to be honest. Before God and before them, and with yourself. Now, God's grace is sufficient. Okay? God's grace is sufficient. David was a very sinful man. And God restored him. Solomon, who wrote this, dealt with this himself. God's grace is sufficient. i got to go a little faster. Okay? Notice what it says in verse number 13. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. Am I hitting your words? I'm sorry. I didn't. Covenant, flee, count the cost. 9 to 12. Verse 13. Hide God's word. Hide God's word. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm telling you, I have seen people have victory over, with, by only simply memorizing God's word. You should write down 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 8, men. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 8, women. Here's what it says. It is God's will that you be sanctified, that you avoid sexual morality, that each of you learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. It is not yourself that you are sinning against, but the Spirit of God who rests in you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-8. through 8. Hide God's Word in your heart. I'm telling you, I know people 
who from the simple discipline of memorizing God's Word had brought victory to their brain, to their mind, to their eye gate. I think you know what I'm saying. Also, verse number 14, Notice, I am on the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Not only do we need to hide God's Word, we need to enlist other people into our life. Enlist brothers and sisters into your life. If this is a challenge for you, you need the accountability of other people. Moving along, I've got I to get moving. Verse 15. Look what it says. Man, this is just such great language. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Folks, you need to know something. This is a learned behavior. Capture your thoughts is what we see here. Capture your thoughts. Be in love. Be drawn to the spouse God has given you. If you are single, if you are single, you got to trust God for this. I'm not in that boat. I don't understand it, but you do. But what we see here is that we have to capture our thoughts and not let our eyes wander, men. Not let our eyes wander, women. Not let our hearts drift. Instead, capture those thoughts. And what do you do with them? You bring them under subjection of Christ. That's straight out of the Bible. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Listen to it. We are to destroy arguments that are raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And then finally, verse number 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He is held fast in the cords of his sin, and he dies for a lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. But why? Why? Because of verse 21. Look at it. He missed this. He missed this. And I want to end here because I think it may be the most powerful part of all of this. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. We have to, we have to wrestle with and acknowledge and feel the very presence of God. The presence of of God. The divine awareness of God. He's there. It is not just the two of you. You are not all by yourself. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth seeking, seeking those whose hearts are fully committed to Him that He might strengthen them. That's 2 Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord 
reigns throughout the earth. A divine awareness. Can I say personally, that's the one that I hold on to the most. When I'm walking through Walmart, or I'm changing through channels, or I'm surfing the internet, I I try to remind myself, I'm not alone here. My Savior is here. The Spirit of God is here. And I will submit my life to Him. I'm going to close with one more verse. Because I suspect, I know, that any time we talk about this issue, adultery, pornea, sexual morality, the conviction runs high. I know. And I came in here this morning hurting for some. I did. Despite my bravado, I don't like to do that. I don't like to do that. But it is necessary. Because Jesus comes to give you life. The enemy comes to kill and to destroy. So if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, I I pray for anyone here who is battling these things. Lord, it shows that we're Yours that we battle it. It's an indicator that we're Yours, that we're resisting it. Give victory, Lord. Give victory to Your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that there will be a man or a woman here who will flee today that will flee, that will we'll go ahead and try one more time. They'll try again to submit this area to your life, to you, Lord, this area of your life to you, that they'll trust you enough to do that. Give us courage, Lord, to trust you enough. Lord, bring victory to the one that's feeling beat down by this. And Lord, convict before your chastening hand is brought in. You discipline those that you love. We thank you for your grace, Lord, for your forgiveness. It is this sin, Lord, that you died for. It is the sin of adultery. It is the sin of pornea that you took our place and bore on that cross. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.